okay? Y'all aren't perfect people out there? Okay, so there's always usually something that we can be forgiven for. And last week in the scripture, we had that uh, part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus uh, saying to people that you can only receive forgiveness as you're able to extend forgiveness. Remember that? The scripture ended with that, well, if you don't do it, you're going to have problem receiving it. And it's this mutual thing. It's a way of being. It's not a specific action necessarily. It's a way of being in the world to give and to receive the flowing of forgiveness that is there. And this Sunday, the scripture is the next reciprocity in the Sermon on the Mount, which is don't judge. Because if you do judge, your life will be full of judgment. And so it's that same way of being. Are we going to be a people who forgive or not forgive? It's going to be a way of being in this world. Are we going to be a people who are constantly judging and also then victims of judgment ourselves? Because you know those eyes just don't turn out and blame. They also turn on ourselves. And then it also is how we see God in our life which is not the God that Jesus told us about. So these actions of how we are to be as Christians. And I want to tell you, this week, the Sunday after elections, I thought, Reverend Vicki, what were we doing thinking about, talking about forgiveness this week? <laughs> what were we thinking about that? Couldn't we have done something different about this? And, I see, and we said, well, you know, we think God's doing something for us as we planned out what we do for our worship series. And it surprises us more often than not. You know, because in our world, in our life right now, it just sort of feels like what Van Zant identified. If we're not able to forgive, to let go of the past, if we're not able to move forward, if the emotions, if we don't name the emotions under it, we won't find healing and we'll just be stuck. Anyone feel a little bit stuck today? You know, and if, if, and if we're stuck, perhaps maybe we feel stuck in our family, or maybe we feel stuck at church or at work. Maybe we just feel stuck in some ways. Maybe we feel stuck as a nation. Maybe. You know, if we look at what the results of the polls were, we saw that half of our people chose not to go to the polls. And of the other half, half went for one candidate, half went to the other candidate. I don't know how you define stuck any more clearly. That's pretty stuck, you know, of back and forth the way we've been in our world. I appreciated Wayne with the children saying, forgive us adults when we don't behave the way we're supposed to. Forgive us. Forgive us adults for when we don't follow the Ten Commandments. Forgive us adults for when we behave in ways that we tell you not to behave or you get in trouble, right? It's been a hard and tough campaign, and this morning we wonder what is our next step? What do we do following this election? What do we do? Is this a new norm for us in the United States? Is this going to be the emotional tenor of all of our conversations with people from now on? Are we going to go on being where we can't talk to half of the other people in the country or our family or our neighbors? Is this who we're going to be right now in the United States? Back in 1993, I was off a decade in the early service, but back in 1993, I was in Greece on a cruise, 
And it was fun time. And while we were over there, it was the elections in Greece. And so as we traveled around having fun, just not knowing we should worry about protecting ourselves during an election in Greece, we found out you should. Because there was this big courtyard and half our group got separated on one side and the other on the other side from a very angry mob. And they had sticks and bats and they were beating each other up. And I said, what's going on? And the taxi driver said, oh, it's election year. I said, so, why, so who are these people? What's happening? He said, well, it's election year. This is one party and this is the other party, and they disagree with each other, so you carry your bat with you. <laughs> true. This is true. You know, as, as, as I was going through. And then we watched from then on to make sure that there were no riots where we were going to be so that we wouldn't accidentally get caught up in the mindless brutality of what was going on. You know, and then the taxi cab driver asked me some questions. Because at that time in our history in the U.S., you may not remember it, but we had six presidents standing up all beside one another, Carter, Ford, Reagan, Bush, and Clinton, and someone else I might be forgetting. But as they stood up there in those pictures, they were all signing a new trade agreement that we call NAFTA. They were signing it together at that point in time. All of the presidents that were still alive were up there. So the taxi cab driver looks at me and says, how do y'all do that? How come this one and that one don't have their bat and they're not beating each other up? And I said, but well, Keith, we don't do that in our country. <laughs> Fast forward to 2016. <laughs> you know, so, so I think we have some decisions to make. We can go further into the way of being like Greece or we can remember some of our core values and who we are as a people and what it means to live in a pluralistic society and what it means to be, for us, particularly a people of faith. And what does it mean to live out that faith in the world? What does it mean to be faithful Christians, to be faithful metropolitan community church Christians in the world? What is our core identity? And so today, I want to talk to you a little bit about some healing I think needs to happen and then what it means for us to remember our core identity, and then what it means to take action. So you ready to hang in with me for that? A little bit of healing, a little bit of identity, and a little bit of action is what we're going to do this morning. And so first, I'd like to start off with some of the healing that needs to happen. And there's a quote that was out there this week by one of the heads of the National African American Clergy Network, Barbara Williams Skinner. And she said, it's like a morning. It's like a funeral in some parts of America, in black America, among Muslim Americans, and among immigrants that I've talked to this morning. We need to hear that and name that. It's like a funeral. It's like a mourning. It's like a death in the family is what the experience is of our election season. And we need to be aware that that's not the way it is for everyone, but for a significant part of our people, that's exactly the way it is. And we can't discount it. We can't just pretend like it's not hurting. And so I invite you to name that if that's your hurt, to do that as well. Not everyone is in the same place. Some people are celebrating and joyful and happy. Some people are uh, numb and not having any feelings right now. 
Some people are rationalizing things away because they think if they stay in their mind, then it won't hurt, you know? And so this is one of the responses to our very emotional, very volatile election cycle this last year. And we just need to be, as people of faith, know that when people hurt, our job is to help bring healing. And there are multiple ways for us to do this. I'm going to take a cue from Wayne when he said, kids, forgive us when we don't behave the way we're supposed to, to behave. And so when I was thinking, I have a 13-year-old in the house now. Those of you who don't know that, Michael's now a teenager. And so our how do I talk to this 13-year-old about our elections and, and the way the adults are behaving? And so I went looking for kids' resources. And so I found a kids' resource on the website for the American, uh, the Anti-Defamation League, of which our church is a part, the Anti-Defamation League. And I found this kids' resource, and I started looking at it, and I said, this is good for adults. So I'm going to share it with you today as I go through this. And it said, when you're talking to kids, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, anyone, and I would say even more than kids, to congregants, to our choirs, to our family members, to people we care and love about, remember these things. Take care of yourself first. Put on your oxygen mask first, you know, before you try to help someone else. If you're feeling numb right now, it's not time for you to reach out and heal anyone else. It's time for you to look at yourself and figure out you, what you need to do to take care of yourself first. This was a monumental and emotional campaign, an election season. And so we need to recognize that you need to take care of yourself. Allow young people to express their feelings. It means don't cut people off. Listen. Allow them to express their feelings. It's important for them to get them, get them out so that they can be heard and can be let go of, or we can't move into healing and forgiveness. Answer questions. You might not know all the answers, but answer the questions you can, you can answer. Ones like, how did this happen? What does this mean? Will I be safe? What can I do? What if I feel differently than my friends do about what happened? Am I supposed to behave this way now? Answer the questions you can answer. And then the resource says, be honest about your feelings and your thoughts. Tell them who you voted for. Explain why you voted for them. Be honest how you feel about it. Don't hide it, but be truthful about it. And share with them so that they can see you as a model of honesty. And they can process with you a way to be able to differ and live together and way forward for us. Then it says recommit to fighting bias, bullying, and stereotyping. Can we recommit to fighting bias? Bullying and stereotyping? Is that something we want to do as a people of faith? Do you think it's a part of our core values when we talk about inclusion and community and spiritual transformation and justice? It's a part of our DNA to fight against these things that we will continue to tell them, the kids and all of us, that you will protect and fight for them, especially when they can't fight for themselves that you will stand with and you will be with and walk with and be one of those that they can depend upon when it's needed and that you'll work for fairness in the world. If they are being bullied and don't feel safe, encourage them that you can be one of those they can count on. Be aware of social media. When I first read this, I thought it said beware of social media. <laughs> but it said be aware 
of social media. Simply, what are they reading? What are you reading? What are they not reading? What are their friends saying? And, and be sure that you know that this is how they connect with friends so that you're able to say, what are your conversations like? So that you can be a part of that as well when they're difficult and hard for them to handle and bring up emotions for them. So to be aware of social media and how they connect with one another. And lastly, activism. Remind them that they can do something. Remind them that they can uh, be part of whatever it is they hope the world to be. They can be a part of transforming their family, their church, their world, the globe, that they have that power. That not only do they have that power, we have that power. It's a good reminder for adults as well. I love this resource for kids, you know, but it's more than just the healing that we're called to be a part of. We're called into our identity. We're called to recognize where we've had our place in this. Remember that scripture reading today was take the log out of your own eye first before you look at the speck of your neighbors. Take the log out of your own eye first. So Jesus asked us to do a fearless inventory of ourselves. Fearless inventory for ourselves to make sure that we remove that judgmental log out of our own eye before we engage with others and have conversations that can carry us forward. So we're asked to do more than just bring healing. We're asked to do our own self-examination of how we also may be causing harm and how we might be able to be free of judgment, free of judgment that ultimately captures us in the same prison with those we seek to judge. So after we've done this good work of healing, we are called to more. And I want to share with you this quote from a Lutheran pastor that has tattoos and, and piercings and calls herself not pastor, calls herself pastrix. I thought it was because she liked to be a dominatrix. But, <laughs> but what I've been told is actually pastrix is a negative term that traditionalists put on women pastors who are part of emerging church tradition. So, so, so like stewardess instead of steward, or waitress instead of waiter. So pastrix, she took as this negative word as her identity with her tattoos and with her piercings, and she has lit the world on fire with her thoughts and beliefs in her church. So Reverend Nadia Boltz-Weber says this, I also think if given the opportunity People can actually see the way in which they live can't live up to even their own values. At the end of the day, whether you're a conservative or a liberal, there is something you didn't recycle that day. There is something you brought that was not fair trade. There's some thought you had that was lustful. There is no way to escape the fact that no matter what your values are, you cannot live up to them. It is impossible. That's what we call being convicted. Christians are called into this fearless inventory where we recognize, I asked you if you were all perfect earlier, right? We're not perfect. And as we name those things where we miss the mark, that we trust in the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness for us the power of forgiveness for others. But unless we own up to that, we don't get to make the journey with Jesus. 
We don't let to go into forgiveness. We don't get to go into living without judgment. We get, don't get to go into that freedom that Christ longs for us to have. And Nadia says one of her favorite parts of a service is the sacrament of confession. She calls it a sacrament. Because then you can take it to the table and you can leave it and your forgiveness can be washed over you and you can start anew. And she actually takes issue with some churches who say, don't do that anymore because it makes people feel bad. It lowers their self-esteem. And she says, this isn't about self-esteem. This is about our identity of healing and growing deeper in discipleship and love with God. This is more than self-esteem. This says you are of so much value, God's going to wrestle in the mud with you. God's going to do the wrestling in the mud with you. When I first came to Resurrection, we had a pastor that was leaving after I came, just a couple of months after that I got. Her name was Janice Ladd, Reverend Janice. And we loved Janice. And Janice did great work for many years at this congregation. And she decided it was time for her to move on and go back into industry, and she's doing very well. But as a part of her service, her last service here in worship, Janice had chosen to do a very traditional thing. And that very traditional thing, Jesus, uh, Jesus, haha, Janice, we're supposed to see Jesus in each other. That's a Mother Teresa thing. Some Mother Teresa. So Janice wanted a forgiveness ritual in it, which is very traditional in many churches. When a pastor leaves a congregation after serving for a while, they say, uh, will you forgive me for all the ways that I did not live up to your expectation? Will you forgive me for all the ways I may have said or done something that could have harmed you with or without intention? And then the congregation does the same thing. Will you forgive us for all the ways in which we haven't lived up to your expectations of us? Will you forgive us for all the ways that we have said or done things that have caused you harm? When Janice proposed this, there was almost a riot. If there could be a riot with like four people present. But... <laughs> They didn't have any sticks or bats, but we can't do that. That's horrible. That's like admitting she did something wrong. We can't do that. That's like admitting we did something wrong. Well, we just shared we're not perfect. We shared that we need forgiveness. And this wonderful healing way of doing this, I just want to share with you the resistance there was for a faithful pastor to say, there are ways I haven't met your expectations and need forgiveness. There are ways you haven't met mine, and we can share that forgiveness with one another. It's what Jesus asks us to do. But know the resistance is strong to be able to do that. Can it be that hard to admit we might have made a mistake somewhere along the way? Nadia reminds us that confession and forgiveness are key to our identity as people of faith. So we've talked about forgiveness, and we've talked about some of what Jesus asks us to be is a part of being a healing and forgiving people. I want to invite you to consider affirming some things we don't do. There's a pastor in North Carolina, John is his name, he's a Baptist pastor, and he wrote this little credo of saying what he, the kind of Christian he refuses to be. And you probably have in your mind some Christians that you refuse to be like. 
And so if you agree with some of these statements, which I agree with them, so you've got an MCC pastor in Houston agreeing with a Southern Baptist pastor in North Carolina, that could be bad news. <laughs> or it could be good news. And so I want to invite you to be along, read along these with me with the response. If you agree to say, I refuse, I refuse, meaning I will not be that kind of Christian when we do this. So the first one, let's get started. I refuse to be a Christian who lives in fear of people who look or speak or worship differently than I do. I refuse to be a Christian who believes that God blesses America more than God so loves the world. I refuse to be a Christian who uses the Bible to uh, perpetuate individual or systemic bigotry, racism, or sexism. I refuse to be a Christian who treasures allegiance to a flag or a country or a political party above emulating Jesus. I refuse to be a Christian who is reluctant to call out the words of hateful preachers, venomous politicians, and mean-spirited pew-sitters in the name of keeping Christian unity. I refuse to be a Christian who tolerates a global church where all people are not openly welcome, fully celebrated, and equally cared for. I refuse to be a Christian... Oops, did I go back and forth? I did, sorry. I'm going forward. I refuse to be a Christian who sees the world in a hopeless spiral downward and can only condemn it or withdraw from it. I refuse to be a Christian devoid of the character of Jesus, his humility, his compassion, his smallness, his gentleness with people's wounds, his attention to the poor and the forgotten and the marginalized, his intolerance for religious hypocrisy, his clear expression of the love of God. I refuse to be a Christian unless it means I live as a person of hospitality, of healing, of redemption, of justice, of expectation-defying grace, and of counterintuitive love. I refuse. One more time. I refuse. You see, I still believe that love wins. I am still a Christian that believes I need God's forgiveness and grace. I am still one of those people, but I refuse to be a Christian without Jesus. I refuse to be one without Jesus. So you have been a part of this standing against those ways in which we may not best be forgiving and non-judging followers of Jesus. A way in the church we show this is in baptism. We show this by going into the water and in the water finding a new identity which leaves the world and moves towards God. Are we excited about being those Christians that remember that identity? I want to ask you if you're this excited about it. Watch this video and you tell me afterwards if you're this excited. We're missing the sound. Start it over, please. Because you need to hear.
so as we heal and as we claim and name who we are, you ready to say, okay, God, let's do it. Let's do it, Jesus. Let's do it. Resurrection, we can be that people for the world. Come on, y'all. Let's do it. Amen.